How many of you have traveled out of the country and you're allowed to say so? Okay. How many of you have traveled out of the country but you're not allowed to say so? Okay. You know how it is, the further you get from home, when you see another shirt that, you know, you're not even from Nebraska, but you're in Europe somewhere, you see some guy from, you know, Omaha, you'll get out. I'm from that same country because you're so far from home, right? And we have to view that about heaven too. You just have to view that about heaven. We're so far from home that whenever I meet a buckeye or a corn husker or a, God help me, a longhorn from Texas, Texans are arrogant, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Now all the Texans are slashing my tires right now in the parking lot. But isn't it true? The further you get from home, the more you have in common with, you know, just the customs and traditions. And it's that way when we think about the kingdom of heaven. We're a long way from home, and we're headed home, and we do so from these various different points, and we thank the Lord for them all. So I'm, I'm delighted that you're here. I'm grateful that you took the first day of the week. I know this is a holiday weekend, but I want to um, keep on task. We're in a series called Be Encouraged. We're in 2 Corinthians, and we're in chapters 8 and 9 today. So if you have a Bible, go with me to chapters 8 and 9, 2 Corinthians, and then hold your hand there and go to 1 Corinthians 16, because we'll get there in just first. We'll go there first. <clears throat> Oh, and uh, students are, I, I meant to say, students are welcome to leave to go to student, uh, if you haven't gone, middle school, high schoolers, they're gone. They, in a moment, boom. I think I heard the word Krispy Kreme, and they were just gone. You know, now some adults are thinking, I may need to go see that. In 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, what we have is, is the Apostle Paul writes 2 Corinthians, and he's writing in response to his first letter, 1 Corinthians, and he actually probably there was another letter in between there somewhere, but they had questions, so he's answering these questions, and the questions he's answering are, are about uh, how do we live and holiness and getting along with the other people, and then he, he has the topic of giving as well. And, and for him, it's a rich heritage for him when he talks about giving, but he knows he's talking to first-generation Christians, and so he has to make it really simple. For instance, all the way back in the, in the Old Testament, if you go back and look at the history of giving, um, in Genesis chapter 14, so the early days of, of history, uh, there was a guy by the name of Abram, and when he had a God moment in his worship, he gave a tenth uh, of not what he made, he gave a tenth of what he had. Do you understand the difference? He gave a tenth of what he had to the Lord. That was an act of worship for him. It hadn't been done before, hadn't been done since. A tenth of what he had. And then later that would be codified when the law came in, in the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 27. God's people would know, but these are Jewish people. Leviticus 27, a tithe of everything in the land. And, and they did this, whether it was fruit of the trees, belonged to the Lord, doesn't matter if it came from the soil. It, so there were grain offerings, spice. They would offer animals because it was a very agrarian society. So they gave every tenth goat would go, every tenth sheep would give, be given to the Lord. And that supported not only the government, but then also all the, uh, the priests and all the religious leaders, the Levites, all the people who served uh, in the Lord's work. It's just what they did. And uh, Deuteronomy would restate it, and they would bring their burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrifices, tithes, but then they would also bring special gifts and they bring free will offerings. They gave above that. By the way, in the Old Testament, they actually had three tithes. They had a weekly tithe. 
Then they had a tithe once a year, and then every third year they had a, like a benevolent tithe. And what that was was just another gift given um, so that it would help widows and orphans. It was essentially what, um, what we have today in America when we have benevolence. It, it was that kind of benevolent kind of uh, uh, mercy gift that was given. So they had free will offerings as well. And then when they would have a, a building project, they would give to that. And um, so that was pretty common. When Jesus came, um, he would talk about giving, but he, he had a different slant on what they were used to in the Old Testament. His slant was more like, what is going on inside your heart? You give, and you give a tenth of this and a tenth of that, but then you neglect justice and righteousness and mercy and truth, and you need to pay attention to that as well. In other words, your giving is not a substitute for doing the right thing. <clears throat> I'm reminded of a, of a, a story from H.B. London, who was a vice president of Focus on the Family for years, and he tells a story about two brothers who were in town and as they were, in, and they were scrupulous, they were nasty guys, and um, they were swindlers, and they ripped off people. Everybody knew it. Everybody in town knew it. Well, one of the brothers died, and uh, and so the surviving brother goes into the minister in town and says, "I want you to do the funeral." He said, "Okay, I will." He said, uh, "But one thing, if you do the funeral, you have to say my brother was an angel." Okay, and uh, the minister said, "I'll do it, but you got to pay the church five thousand dollars." and I need to be paid before the sermon begins. Because he knew this guy was nasty and wouldn't keep his word. So the day of the funeral, the guy goes in, plops $5,000 in cash down on the preacher's desk. The preacher went into the auditorium of the church and began the sermon for the funeral. And he said, out, lay out before us is the body of this man. Everybody knows he's a swindling crook. He's a rip-off artist. Everybody knows it. But compared to his brother, he's an angel. <laughs> I don't want you to think you can give and then just do what you want. What the Lord wanted was for you to match what's happening in your heart, make sure your heart's clean. And sometimes, Ernest and I talk about this. He says, I just want their heart to be open before the Lord. And I know not all the hearts are really clean here. And I'm going to Ernest, I'm not sure I want their hearts open. He goes, why not? Because dirty stuff might come out. It might not be as happy as you think it is. Yeah, yeah. Sing from your heart. No, don't, because I know what's in your heart. And so what does the psalmist say? Create in me a clean heart, right? Yeah, and that's where Jesus was on this whole issue of giving. In fact, he put more weight on the widow's might. Go back and read the text. He put more weight on the widow's might. Um, Matthew chapter six, he, he said, when you give, don't announce it. You don't need to make big announcements about it. You don't need to cling it big. You don't need to, I mean, that's one of the things I love about SBC. We don't have like gold circle seating here. These aren't like the big givers here and, the cheap, and then the cheap seats in the back. Or maybe it's the other way. Maybe the people in the back pay the most and the people up the front, these are the cheap seats because they get spit on by the minister. But anyway, I don't know how that goes. I'm sorry. We, I'll stop. We do have a nursery. And I, about 1.30, begin to cry myself. So. Jesus would talk about it's more blessed to give than to receive. So... It, you will know the joy of giving only when you give, and it is an unusual, it's a wonderful joy. Now, he's winning the battle. <laughs> I don't blame you, buddy. Krispy Kremes, turn right. There. Here's the problem. The, the problem was, 
they didn't know much about Jesus and they knew even less about the Old Testament. So all that that I just told you, they had no clue about any of that stuff. Why? Because they were living in Greece, this land they called Achaia. The church is called Corinth, the church in Corinth. These are first-generation Christians. And so the Apostle Paul has to start with, okay, if I were to teach them what it was to be a Christian and to give, what would I say? Because they don't have any of this history to them. And it, it would be like us going, okay, uh, if I were to ask you, what is the parliamentary law in Canada? You, there might be two people who might know who were born or raised in Canada, or, or Mexico, maybe three or four in Mexico. We'd have maybe a couple from Venezuela. The further away you get, the fewer the chances are that you're going to know the speed limits and the tax law and what's the law when a person dies and there's an inheritance and what happens because you just don't know the laws. And that's the way Greece would have viewed Israel. So they didn't know Israeli law. They didn't know that they gave a tenth. And frankly, they could care less because it wasn't their country. Okay? So... The Apostle Paul says, okay, I'm going to teach you about Christian giving, and this is for all Christians past the cross. Here it is. In 1 Corinthians 16, now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. So this is not Old Testament, this is New Testament. He's saying, I, this is for the Galatian churches, this is for you too. In other words, this is for all churches. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so when I come there'll be no collections to be made. Verse three, then when I arrive, I'll give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. So he said, every first day of the week, take the offering, collect it, why? So then it's ready when we need it, okay? Everyone gives proportionately as the Lord has blessed you. That's First Corinthians 16, and that's kind of the basis. Now, what happened was this, they said, we think we have that, um, but now we have some questions. And that would, only be, that would only be natural that you'd have these questions. So they would write their questions, and now in 2 Corinthians, he's answering them. So take your Bible, flip over to chapter 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And, and what you're going to find is this. He's going to give a, a lengthy explanation of the, to answer some of their questions. We're not even sure what the questions are, but we're going to glean about 10 points off of this. But what we do see is this. In the early church, you read the book of Acts, you're going to find people just gave. When the church was started, uh, believers were from all over the world had gathered for a feast. And when they did that, um, they, they weren't at home. So when the, the church started, these people ran out of money because they had left home and they didn't plan to stay this long. So people just gave to meet the need. And then when there was a, a famine, they just gave to meet the famine. And one guy who was fairly rich had some properties. He just sold a property. He just gave 100% of it. And, and he didn't announce it or anything. He just gave it. Why? Because they needed it. That was, that was the book of Acts. That was New Testament giving. And then to underscore Jesus' thing about don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. You don't, don't announce your gift. Another couple decided, well, we're going to do that, but only we're going to hold some of it back. We're going to make people think that we give when, even though we don't. And the Lord struck them dead. Serious business. So when anybody wants uh, some announcement for their giving, stand back. Yeah, lightning could be on the way. The Lord's very serious about this. Now, that was New Testament giving for them. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8 now. And by the way, if, if you aren't practicing New Testament church giving, uh, what I'm going to recommend that you do is listen to the sermon 
But then what I really recommend you do is let the Holy Spirit just walk you through this again this week. Read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Read it over and over and over and over. It's God's word. And let the Lord, let the Lord change your heart about the way you view your money and your possessions, all of it, because it's, every blessing you have is from the Lord. We sing it, praise God from whom all blessings flow. So I don't have anything if it weren't for the Lord. Just, I wouldn't. And I, the, the, the longer you walk with the Lord and you realize that, the more cheerful your giving is, and the more you, when you plant that seed and you give, you see it blossom, there's some real joy to that. So my word to you is, not out of coercion. I just want you to soak yourself in this text because this is the longest, chapters eight and nine are the longest explanation about church giving in the Bible. It's the most extensive teaching. Okay, having said that, chapter eight, verse one, giving is all about God's grace. Chapter eight, verse one. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. This is a cluster of churches. And what has he given them? He's given them the grace. Get that? Skip down again to verse 7. But since you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and uh, in complete earnestness and the love that's been kindled in you, watch the last phrase. See to it that you excel in the grace of giving. It's not something you have to do. It's not something you can do to earn your favor before God. There's nothing you could do to earn your favor before God. There... Grace is given by God. All you can do is receive the grace and be humbled by it. And know this is all of the Lord. So I can never earn my way. Instead, all I can do is respond to his goodness. This is a grace movement. And that propels us. So I want to excel in the grace of God. Number two, not only is, God, not only is giving all about God's grace, but number two, grace, this giving is a privilege. Look at, with me at verse three. The end of verse three and then start at verse 4. Entirely on their own, talking about the Macedonian churches, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service of the Lord's people. Get that. They saw the giving as something that they not had to do, but something that they got to do. And this is the amazing part of this giving. They wanted to partner with those churches. They felt like this is a real privilege for them. And because of that, they found themselves in a real bond, like like. There's a real trust happening here. It was an absolute privilege. Number three, giving begins with giving of ourselves to the Lord. Um, look with me at verse five. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. They gave themselves first to the Lord. So what is giving? When you give to the Lord's work, that's an act of worship. But what does the Lord really want? If you want, if you want to know this, this is a whole another message. Read Romans 12, 1 and 2. What he wants is your body and your mind and your soul and your spirit. He wants it all. And, and 1 Thessalonians 5, he wants to sanctify you through and through, body, soul, and spirit. He wants the whole of you. So when you give, this is not just you checking something off of your to-do list. No, this is you giving yourself to the Lord and then you give to your, to your local church but that's the Lord's work. But you've given yourself to the Lord. Now, why does he say it in that order? I'll be real honest with you. I'll tell you why. Because the Lord will never let you down. He's perfect. The Lord will never let you down. So if you're giving to the Lord, you can never be disappointed. But churches are human, full of humans. 
turn to the person next to you and say, churches are human. Churches are human. And with them comes weirdness. Don't repeat that to each other. But you give and then it doesn't turn out the way you thought. You had expectations and it didn't end up the way you wanted it to end up. You know, you, you gave to a special project or whatever. And churches are human. It's what they are. It's okay. Uh, a few years ago, um, it's been my desire for us to have, um, uh, and by the way, our, our mission team landed in Guatemala. They're there. They got to the house. Okay. okay. Last Sunday, if you were here, that we're praying for them, and then they left this week. They made it there. Um, and um, so, but a few years ago, I was concerned because we, we have people around the world, but we didn't have anybody on the continent of Africa. And so I, I was looking at different countries, and I wanted to get to a country that has more unreached people. And so we ended up um, partnering with some people to go to Kenya. I thought that was God's will that we do that. Well, then the Lord seemed to shut that door. It just became exceedingly difficult. We had a team go, and Wanda and I got to go with a couple other couples, uh, Lomans and Abdullahs, and we had a wonderful time. But then uh, there are just different shifts that have happened. We've not gotten back. And, and they keep talking to us. Well, just go to Uganda, which is next door. And I go, I already printed the shirts. They say Kenya, okay? <laughs> What's wrong with you? And so, anyway. <laughs> so I meet a guy uh, who's a friend of mine. He's in, he just became uh, president of a mission agency that, that does these sponsorships of kids. And he says, well, you should go with me on a trip. I said, did you go to Kenya? He goes, no. I go, well, when you're ready to go to Kenya, I'll go. He goes, we'll go to Uganda. I go, I've heard this song before. I want to go to Uganda. I can't spell Uganda. I can't say, it doesn't sing at all. Kenya sounds better. Just sounds, besides, I still have this box of T-shirts. So anyway, he goes, well, I'll tell you what. Just go with us to Guatemala just to see what the field looks like if you do sponsorship. And then we might get into Kenya someday, no promises. But in the meantime, you might be interested in Uganda, which is next door to, to Kenya. He's a slow learner. I can't help it. Well, guess what? We ended up doing a mission work in Guatemala, not even on the same continent. Shows you how much your pastor walks with God, understands the voice of the Lord. <laughs> you know what? Eventually we'll make it, and it'll be... Congo or Liberia or, or Nigeria or Uganda and then we'll send some spies in to Kenya from Uganda we'll do that but you know you think you know the Lord's will and it's okay we still got you know what the answer is we really got to spread the gospel there and the gospel needs to be in Guatemala as well and it's okay because your plans change they just do don't they it's in and the Apostle Paul, when you read his life story, when you read through the epistles, you'll find his plans changed. And the Lord opens the door and closes the door. Churches are very human. So when you give to the Lord's work, you have to give first and foremost to the Lord. Secondarily, it's to the church. That's the organization. But just know the organization is going to be human. It is not going to be perfect. Not like the kingdom which is to come. All right, keep moving. N number four. Giving follows the model established by Jesus. Verse, um, skip down to verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, get this, yet for your sake he became poor, 
Do you see what he gave? He gave up all of his riches. He became poor so that through his poverty, you might become rich. Get this. He gave up so much. This is the model of giving. He didn't have to do that. He chose to do that. He chose it, and in turn, we give. Why? Because we want to follow the model of Jesus. So when you give, ask yourself, is this the Jesus model of giving? Uh, Dallas Seminary professor Howard Hendricks, who now is in heaven, tells the story of walking down the hall one day, and one of his students said, I got a problem, uh, Professor Hendricks. What is that? He said, well, I can't get my assignments done. Why? Well, because I'm married, and I love my wife too much. Hendricks said, that's not going to cut it. You need your assignments in, number one. Number two, unless you're dying for your wife, you don't love her too much. And then he quotes from Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loves the church, gives his self for it, lays down his life. My gosh. So when you give, ask yourself, is this a Jesus kind of gift? Ask yourself, is this a reckless kind of love? We sang it a little bit ago. Is this a reckless kind of love? Am I giving almost to the point of like, this is almost ridiculous. I long for the day when our whole church gets audited because our giving is so high. Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be cool? Yeah, because they just don't believe that we could give at those kinds of rates. Number five, giving is a response to a willing heart, chapter eight, verse 10. And here's, here's my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. They, there was a call out because there was a need. They were the first to give, and they were also the, the first to say, hey, yeah, we'll pitch in. Verse 11, now finish the work so your eager, your, your eager willingness to do it may be matched with your completion according to your means. In other words, you said you were going to give, but you haven't come through on all of the gift yet. Uh, anybody had good intentions that weren't followed through? Yeah, all of us do. For with the willingness that is there, the gift is acceptable according to the, what one has, not according to what one does not have. In other words, God's not going to ask you for something you don't have. He's not asking for that. He's asking you to forgive as you've been blessed, 1 Corinthians 16. So we sing it, praise God from whom all blessings flow. You give out of the blessings of the Lord. Number six, giving is a trust, chapter eight, verse 19. What is more, he, that's Titus, his buddy in the ministry, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering, which we administer in order to honor the Lord himself and to show ourselves eager to help. So he, he gives the offering to Titus. There's actually a cluster of guys that are going to carry the offering. In other words, this giving is a trust, and by that, the churches, when you receive an offering, there's a sacred trust about it to manage it well, to budget it well, to handle the gifts as not just a, a, a tax deduction. No, no, no. This is a gift to the Lord's work. It is sacred. It is a holy moment. And that's what they are. And, and when we handle the offerings here, they're handled like it were the widow's might. It is a sacred moment, a trust that's given. Number seven, giving is an investment for eternity. Look with me at chapter nine, verse six. And I'm sorry, we have to skip 
through this. There's so much to read through this. But he says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. It is an investment, and you, you know it. You plant a seed, you get back a hundredfold. You plant a row of peas or of broccoli or whatever that corn, whatever that vegetable is, you know you get back over and over again. And that happens to us when we sow it liberally. What happens is this. It detoxes us from the materialism of the day, and it gets us used to, to eternity and helps us to see that we're really planting something that matters for eternity. And when it begins to blossom and we see the reaping of this, it brings great joy, great delight. It doesn't matter. In your garden, you know it to be true, whether it's a flower or broccoli or, or cauliflower or peas, a row of peas. It doesn't really matter. When they begin to flower up and blossom and then come to full fruit, you, there's a smile on your heart, if not on your face. So it is when we give with a sense of eternity in mind, there's a smile headed towards heaven. And number eight, it's really a matter of the heart. Keep reading verse year six, keep reading to verse seven. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Why? Because God loves a, what's it say class? Cheerful giver. I'm giving, but I don't want to. Boom. You know what? That's like bouncing, like prayer bouncing off the ceiling. Just... If I'm going to give, oh, Lord, change my heart to be cheerful. Just change my heart to be cheerful. May, may I give in such a way that I look more towards heaven than I do towards earth. It really is a matter of the heart. And what he wants to do is change our hearts. Keep us from being so cemented in here on earth. Number nine, uh, verse, chapter nine, verse eight. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good, not, not every good thing, but every good what, class? Work. God's got to bless you so you have this ministry. It just blossoms. Not that you have stuff, but that you have something to do with your life that is a, a lifelong investment as you get ready for heaven. And here's the deal. He is able to bless you. He, he will take care of his children. And, and I know, tragedy comes to Christians just like it does to non-Christians. But blessing comes to Christians because we follow the Lord. And blessing comes to us in a way that it does not come to others. Others may have earthly riches. Nothing wrong with that. But we have riches laid up, stored up for us in heaven. If you could think about it in those terms, it would help you to give cheerfully. And then number 10, giving results in our thanksgiving to God. Look with me at verse 11. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result. What, what is your generosity resulting? It results in thanksgiving to God. Get that? In other words, you go, <laughs> this is fun. This is great. I love this. Skip down to verse 15. Thanks be to God, why? For his indescribable gift. Do you get that? His indescribable gift. He's enriched you in every way. So when you give, giving results in thanksgiving to God, it becomes something you just, you want to do. Why? Because we've been so blessed. Why? Because we recognize God is the ultimate giver and he invites us, he invites us to join him. And we are privileged to do so.
Would you bow with me in prayer? Let's stand to our feet as we pray, shall we? As I go to pray, just know um, I don't take for granted you hanging on through the message. And I know that your wallet, your accounts, they're your identity. Uh, and I, I, I don't, I'm not lost on that point. And I'm grateful that you are uh, not only hearing the word of the Lord, but taking it to heart. And don't take it as my word. I want you to just read it again this week as the word from the Lord. And Father, that's our prayer, that we'll have a house full of cheerful givers who are known for their thanksgiving because we know we've been so blessed. And we know that we're blessed because we've been the recipients of a very, very generous gift from you. So we say thanks be to God for your indescribable gift. Thank you, Lord. And the church says thank you. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray these things. Everybody, amen.